Welcome back to another episode of Living in the Moment and more importantly, our path to caribou culture part two. In this episode, we reminisce about old processes and technology and we hear how the business today looks very different when it comes to technology and systems, but still the same in passion, drive and the mission to deliver exceptional brand experience across the board. We've done what we do best and that is to innovate. We talk about the importance of knowing your strengths and knowing when to say no and how those really tough conversations can turn out to be the most necessary and productive conversations. Before I began my story with TLS, I worked with College Pro and ran a window cleaning franchise for four years. So I'm fortunate to have an all around experience with TLS where I've been the franchisee receiving TLS's services and I've been a moment maker providing our services. And even through all of that, I learned something in this conversation that I was entirely unaware of. We are joined today by Stephanie and Ramey, our two vice presidents in a wonderful trip down memory lane. I hope you all enjoy living in the moment with us. Today we have Stephanie and Ramey joining us. So I'm going to hand it off to you two to introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your journey with TLS thus far and a little bit um, before TLS if you'd like to share. So Stephanie, I will start with you. Okay. Well, hello. Um, I am Stephanie Thompson. I'm currently the vice president of uh, brand delivery at TLS. And um, my journey started back in 2001. Um, I had just been out of college for a few years and I was looking for something different. So before TLS, I did a lot of management in the food industry, um, specifically pizza places in Exeter and in London. Um, And knowing that I wanted to get something different on my resume, because uh, I didn't want to be in the food industry um, for the rest of my life, um, although I do love to cook, but I wanted to get something else on my resume. So I was applying around and this um, job came up with TLS um, for supervisor of the telemarketing division. And um, I went for it. It was a contract position. I thought it's something new. Um, really liked the interviews I had and uh, and that's what started my journey at TLS. Very cool. Thank you. And Ramey, how about you? Yeah, so um, I am currently the vice president of strategic design, um, which is a very fancy name to basically say business development. Um, and my journey uh, with TLS started just a year after Stephanie. So 2002 is when I began Uh, My role as at the time, it was project coordinator, which I think was another fancy name for who's going to do all the stuff that nobody else wants to do. So that's kind of what I came in to do. Um, I was just there to help support, um, you know, operations at the time and the the call center agents at the time. Um, So that was really the, the beginning of my career. Um, before that I worked in a automotive factory in the office, um, in the shipping department. And, um, that's where I met my husband and 
after 9-11, um, the automotive industry took a pretty big hit. And so it was a really tough industry to work in. And that's kind of what um, propelled that career change. And um, same as Stephanie, you know, I had great interviews with, um, I actually interviewed with Lori um, and with David. And uh, it just seemed like a really interesting company. And it, it felt like there was a lot of runway. Um, and almost 20 years later, that's definitely true. Very cool. And project coordinator, I like to think of jack of all trades instead of things <laughs> everyone else doesn't want to do. <laughs> but, uh, but speaking of jack of all trades, so part one of our caribou culture, um, we left off with Lori and Beth explained the history of TLS and um, where we came from and where the name came from. And we focused in mainly around 1996 to 2001. So I'm going to shift us to the next phase. And I understand that 2001 is when Stephanie came to join us. And from what Laurie said, you were also a little bit of a jack of all trades with being our quote IT person um, and then also helping to grow the business and focus on telemarketing. So are there any um, stories or things that come from that time of just starting out that you'd like to share, Steph? Yeah, well, um, yeah, so in the IT, um, I came in with IT experience. That's what I took in in college. I It was um, the few years before the year 2000. So the IT world was getting ready for um, a complete crash of systems. Um, and that was the course I went into was how to update uh, system codes and, and some IT work there. So that's where my IT experience came from. That's one of the reasons why um, I was able to stay on past my contract, original contract with TLS, because, um, because I had the IT experience and I could work in that role as well. But just to start like with my with starting as the telemarketing supervisor, I know, um, you know, in the first episode, Lori spoke to have having two um, uh, offices. So we had our telemarketing office just up the road from where we are now. And um, I have to say, like, it was one I'm, I'm taking a job kind of in an area where I've never worked before, no no sales experience, like no, I never did door-to-door -door sales. I never did any phone sales. Um, and I'm put to work as supervising, su supervising the telemarketing um, team. And then I go into the office up the street and uh, it was nothing like the office where I interviewed at. It was, um, you know, lived in, we'll call it lived in. Um, Lori refers to it as rustic. You know, it was 40 seats, uh, no computers. Well, there was one computer in my in my office over there, but that was didn't work and it couldn't be saved. But it was uh, these 40 seats, no headsets. It was all hand um, receivers. And uh, my job was to fill those 40 seats. Uh, so it was um, I, I was really riding the curve. Like I thought, what did I get myself into? But it was also really fun because it was challenging. Like I was able to set goals, attain goals, really problem solve, um, you know, somewhat innovate, um, but also change things. I had the, the runway to change things that were already in place. And one fun, I don't know if it's a fun story, but one was like when they got a lead, 
the process was they would stand up and go, I got a lead. And then uh, someone would have to verify it. So it was like a two-step process. They would get a lead, lots of excitement there, but then I would go over and I would verify the lead. And I was doing that when I first started, that was the process, you know, do what works. Um, but then I got like, I, I got an ear infection and I then decided not to do that anymore. So that was one process I changed within three weeks of um, starting the telemarketing. And, and it ended up that it didn't impact it at, at all. Like by not verifying the lead, didn't really change the number. So it was really cool to see how, um, you know, there were certain things being done that might not had to have been done um, or it could have been slightly changed. So, you know, it was, it was a really fun time over there. I worked with a lot of high school students um, and young college students and university students. It was 40 people every night. We started the night, we had a goal, we ended the night and we typically hit the goal. So it was really good. And then as we got to the end of the summer, it kind of shut down. And that's when I moved into um, a evening a survey supervisor and IT. Um, and then the, the IT side of it, it was, it, you know, they spoke to, in the first episode, they spoke to how the original spot where TLS was, it was a house and they did a lot of converting of rooms. And, you know, that still held, the, the, that kind of um, problem solving and work with what you have has been with us. And Ramey can say it's been with us this whole time. I mean, we have to figure things out. We have to work with what we have. And the IT room back in 2001 was actually in a closet in an executive's office here at our main office. And it was like a three by eight space. And um, it was in April Broom's office. And if I had to get into the IT room, I had to like interrupt her I had to walk through, go into her closet and shut the door. And it was like, I would be working in there feeling so awkward um, that I had to interrupt her day and stuff. And in it, and it, and getting in, you had to walk in and kind of walk sideways and then sit down and you would have your, your server room and computers. So um, it was, there were a lot of moments where it was like, wow, this is a, this is a company. <laughs> Um, but it was, it was, it was those moments too, that kind of allowed me to, um, really like change things and, and do things. And I think that's why I'm still here is because it's about working with what you have and, and, and attaining those goals to get stuff done. Absolutely. I, um, so when it comes to, I, I wanted to ask this when you had mentioned it, um, verifying a lead. Why were we verifying a lead or or what were we verifying, I guess? Like what was the added thing to that? Yeah, it was it was because, and it's a sales, um, from what I kind of understood back then, it was a sales tactic that a lot of companies did. And even through, um, you know, 2000, through the early 2000s when I um, would research some of the other outbound telemarketing companies in London, it was because when a lead is generated, um, they want to make sure it's an actual lead before it's sent on to be paid for. And um, 
I do forget, you know, the one thing I don't remember is if we build by the lead back then. I think uh, we did. I think we did, yeah. So because we build by the lead, we didn't want to deal with a lot of credits coming back. Yeah. And that's why you would have the second person verify. And you had to, so back then calls were not recorded. We had no call recordings. You had to like actually, if you wanted to record a call, you had to plug something into the actual phone set to record a call. So you couldn't just go back and listen to the call and say, yeah, that's that's a valid lead. You had to actually hop on the call to validate that this customer was interested in the service. Yes. So what you're saying is that now we're just too spoiled. Totally spoiled. We have three recordings. We have this whole new cloud nine phone system coming. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And Ramey, as our project coordinator, Jack of all trades, what, um, what was the quote best part of your job? And what was the least enjoyable, I guess we could put. So I'll, st- I'll start with the worst and I'll end on a high note. So definitely the worst part of my job was, so I, we did quality surveys for Paul Davis and um, back then offices would fax in their customer data. They would send a fax, they'd write it out on a piece of paper, they'd fax it in. I'd have to read the handwriting, type it into a spreadsheet, and then we could import the spreadsheet into Microsoft Access, I think is, is probably what we were using back then to complete surveys. That's um, a throwback. There was, yeah, there was like a data entry portion of my job, which, which I didn't like. Um, and then on the first of every month, we had to generate all these survey reports for 300 Paul Davis franchises. And you, you had to actually physically run five reports times 300 offices and save them all and and you once they were saved there was a there was a batch process that ran on the email server i guess i don't even think it was a server but there was a batch process that ran to email to batch up and email the reports but i spent an entire day 8 hours sitting at a special computer cuz you couldn't run it off my computer i had to go to a special computer run these reports for a day so there was a lot of kind of mind numbing <laughs> work that was involved in that coordinator position. But, um, you know, certainly that the highlight of that role was working with Stephanie, her and I were back to back, we were in a back corner of the office, Um, you know, literally turn my chair around and she's behind me. Um, I learned so much from Steph. Um, She taught me all about access, taught me all about how to write queries, how to work with the data, how to just again, kind of just be nimble and a problem solver. And, you know, she taught me, she taught me a lot back then. And, um, you know, her and I working together was definitely the highlight Um, and still is, you know, it's, it's still one of my highlights. So um, that has not changed. You know, Ramey, we do have to, like, I, one of my highlights is working with you as well. And um, I still remember the, so, so like, I remember this one time, like I was working with her through access, um, getting the reports done and, and, um, and there was one problem we just couldn't solve. So like my IT experience, it's, it's not like super big. It's, (laughs) it's very minimal. And there was one, we couldn't solve how to get this one number on 
I think it was the California Closets Report. Yeah, I think it was a year-to-date number. It was a year-to-date number. And, and for the life, like we just could not get it working that we ended up putting a label. And what that means is when it's a label, you actually have to manually update a label. It's not a, it's not like a calculation or a query that's running. And to solve it, it was, let's just put a label. Like I remember that conversation, Ramey. It was, it was, let's just put a label on. I remember keeping track of all the year-to-date numbers. And every time we ran the report, we had to plug in the the year-to-date number label, right? It, It got it done. That's right. It got it done. And it's, it's one of those stories that I'll never, I'll never forget. Yeah. <laughs> it stays with you. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's always those ones that stay with you. Um, so today we work with, um, I always have to do it in alphabetical order to make sure I don't leave anyone out. But today we work with Cal Closets, uh, Certa Pro, First On Site, Paul Davis, and Magic Bubbles. I just switched those two. But anyways, um, so thinking back to, early 2000s and as um, telemarketing kind of phase as a business, and we'll get to that one in a second, but when gaining traction with brands, as we added new brands, um, as we grew current brands, what are the trial and error moments? What are the learning that came, what was the learning that came out of it um, in order to successfully launch a new brand or add on to a new brand or add on to a current brand rather? I think, um, I think the biggest lesson learned, and I mean, this kind of just goes off of what we just talked about, you know, we were jack of all trades, we were, we wanted to be nimble, and we wanted to be everything to everyone. So we were quick to say yes, and then we figured it out. And for a lot of, like a lot of times that worked out well, and we were successful, and we built you know, strong, strong lines of business, but in, in other elements, we shouldn't have said yes. Um, there, you know, we, we saw the warning signs going into, to a relationship with the company and we did it anyway. Um, so, you know, there were a lot of hard knocks, a lot of, um, really hard conversations where we certainly over-promised and under-delivered. Um, so I think, you know, that's been my biggest learning over the years and just transparency, like transparency goes so such a long way. And it's, you know, it's easier to have the transparency we we have with our brands now because, you know, we're all in the family. We're all first service brands. We all talk the same language. Um, It's easy to have that transparency and we have nothing, you know, and we're proud of what we do. We're proud of of the business that we are today. Um, But I think back in the day, there were a lot of just, you know, we, we were trying to just do things that were outside of our core competency. And, uh, you know, we wanted to drive revenue like back, you know, Beth mentioned her, her mandate when she started TLS was don't lose money. And I think our mandate was grow the business, like get more revenue, get more, more clients, more revenue, keep the doors open, you know, any way you possibly can let's, let's build the business. And, um, some of it just wasn't worth it. So. I think that was kind of my biggest, my biggest learning back in those days. Fair enough. Know your limits, know what you can handle and know when to say no is I'd say, and that applies to not just growing a business, but anything really in life is know yeah. when you kind of need to say, okay, this is what we're good at and we're going to keep it here. 
um, knowing your strengths. Stephanie, anything to add there? Yeah, I mean, I had written down the same thing Ramey had. It was really, it was what she said. It was trying to be everything. And part of it too was these are small business owners we were supporting. Like we were doing it through the corporate teams and through the brand. But at the end of the day, it was the um, small business owners that needed that work done. So it was tough to say no, um, but it was it was something we had to start doing in order to, to focus on things. And then the other item that we always ran into, and we still do today, and Beth actually mentioned it in the first episode, is um, people are really reluctant to hand over the keys to a certain to a certain task. And that's, I I think that's the biggest hurdle we continue to face um, when trying to, you know, create that brand experience for, uh, for a company is, is that it is very difficult for um, the business owners, the franchisees to, um, you know, just understand that we can do as good a job as they can. Um, so that's one thing that we're constantly still trying to, to overcome. Um, I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Ramey. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, um, I, you know, I think we do a better job than the franchisee because that's not their business, right? Our business is customer centric. Our business is genuine care. Our business is, you know, taking that customer taking their hand and leading them through the journey. That's, that's what we're good at. That's what we've built over the last 25 years. Um, but you're right. It's, it's hard to give up that control and it's, it's their bread and butter. It's their livelihood. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't begrudge that there's that fear. Um, but I think anytime I've had conversations with franchisees directly one-on-one, um, you know, where I'm able to showcase, you know, why, why we're here, why we do such a great job. Um, and that's that's been the biggest challenge, I think, is just communication. When you have, I think the last time we we tallied it, there's 1,700 franchise owners in this um, in this first service brands family. And that's a lot of people to communicate with and make sure that everybody gets a consistent message has always been the challenge. And if anything, I would say that we are, we're, we're getting really, really good at also just showing and leading our franchisees and our local offices at what we can do so well and delivering that exceptional brand experience. So I would say, yes, they're reluctant. Yes, some people, it's harder to get them on board, but at the end of the day, giving that chance and taking that leap, we get to show them everything we can do and we do it really well, so... I like that. That's very cool. Um, so I mentioned there we had phased out telemarketing and stuff, and you came in as like telemarketing supervisor, and then realizing in the 2000s that there's not much need for it anymore as society started to innovate. Um, so the business innovated as well. So um, what was the process of that kind of strategic change, and and that one specifically, but then also just as you over the past 20 years, as you continue to make strategic changes, what goes into it? What um, What's that process tra- traveling through it? And then what comes out on the other side? Yeah, so the, the telemarketing, I mean, that 
change to phase that out really came from the numbers starting to decline. Um, leads were being less leads were being generated. Therefore, the cost um, essentially was going to be going up for the brands. Uh, we uh, we also were finding it difficult to find people. Um, I think call centers in general, you know, they had a bad reputation in the early 2000s um, from more of the aspect of, it, you know, it was either um, sent off out of country or it was all telemarketing sales. And um, it was just before 2005, I noticed people when I was hiring them, not wanting to do sales. That's when I really started hearing people say, I don't want to do sales. Um, you know, uh, what is it exactly that you do? So it was getting dif more difficult to hire people. So um, we did try different tests. So the strategic approach was to see, can we find College Pro another partner? Because they still needed it. Like the whole aspect of the telemarketing for College Pro was, these were students that were in school until, um, you know, end of May. And by the time they got out of school, they really only had a few months to impact a business. And really to go out and generate leads as soon as you get out of school, you're already kind of set back in being able to, um, to, to get uh, a successful business. So that's where we came in is we were generating leads while they were in school, building up a customer base. Um, College Pro, I do believe even started training earlier and earlier um, because we had these leads coming through. So College Pro still needed the telemarketing aspect to generate leads. And we tried third-party companies. We, we did a few different tests um, with some different ways of doing it. Uh, and, and then we um, made the, the decision to just remove it from our business. And, um, and then College Pro was gonna go and, and kind of find what they really needed. But the one element of it that we kept was the May long weekend calling. Um, that was, I believe, the biggest hurdle for College Pro um, because up in the Muskoka area, you can't really go door to door. So the telemarketing was even more valuable to those franchises um, because of the location of, of where they were doing. So we phased the telemarketing out. We kept the May long weekend um, that stayed with us uh, up until um, just like three, three, three or four, four years, four ago, years right? ago. Yeah. So every May long weekend, we would run a, a huge telemarketing blitz and utilize people that worked on other brands. They got additional pay, they got bonuses. Um, it was a huge weekend uh, that we would run just for College Pro. So now I wanna go on a bit of a tangent and kind of like a sidebar here. So I, I ran a College Pro window cleaning franchise for four years. I don't think I ever knew this portion of it, mm -hmm. of the, um, the outbound or the telemarketing for just May Madness, I knew about May Madness because I knew that was a big thing for on the window cleaning side, previous customers and really pushing cold calling and door to door and everything. So what now just for my own curiosity, what went into telemarketing or, or what was that process? That was um, it was a big process. So it was really the calling days were only two days. It was a Saturday and Sunday weekend. Um, the process would start probably four months 
um, before because we had to get lists generated. So it would be ensuring, understanding what postal codes were being operated in, getting it ordered from the list. Um, they would have to scrub it against the do not call. We would then have to um, get the list. Uh, and this goes back to old school, the telemarketing back in 2001, it was all paper. And you would have to um, format the lists, uh, print them all off. Um, and it would be, oh my gosh, Ramey, what was it like? 30 to 40 people we would need yeah. on the Saturday and Sunday to generate the amount of leads that College Pro would want out of that weekend. And it was just like a big party weekend, right? We'd have pizza, we, we called it Shake Your Money Maker. We did, yeah. Give out, like give out cash, mm -hmm. right? We'd, we'd go to the bank and get stacks of, was it $10 or $5 bills? $10 bills, yeah. And $5 bills and we just, Jillian would walk around with the, with a um, like fanny pack on with with five dollar bills in it, and she just hand out like every lead you got, you got five bucks cash plus you got a bonus, and oh. it was just a lot of fun. It was, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah the and is this the cowbell that I've heard about? We yeah. yeah. So the thing with telemarketing <laughs> and just motivation in general, like when you have um, when you have a goal that you need people to hit, and it's within a certain time frame, you you do different things to make it fun. Like the shake your money maker name came in and I believe it was the year that song was released. And I forget who sings that song, but it was, it, it's different things we, we layer in um, to make it new and fun and exciting. And the cowbell was, was one of them. Um, we gave away a whole tent package um, one year tent cooler. I believe there's a picture kicking around of my, myself and yeah. Val roasting marshmallows mm -hmm. outside the tent on a fake fire. Like it's, it was do like, and it was in, and it's interesting because I'm not that I'm not the person that gets up and, and motivates people. I'm very introverted. Like I really don't prefer to talk. I don't, you know, and this, and here, it was, it's just this constant motivation of people and it was fun. Like it was really fun. And then it was tiring. It was one of those things where I'm really looking forward to it. And then on Sunday at about noon, I'm like, I'm really looking forward to this to be over. Right. Yeah. Cause it was just that much energy that went into it. Yeah. Was, was the uh, tent package so that they could go up and help those in the Muskoka area. Yeah. <laughs> Take your tent, go, go help yeah. college pro yeah. <laughs> live on site. Yeah. I know the bank really looked at me whenever I went in, it was $10 bills actually. And I would go in and ask for like um, anywhere from a thousand to 2000 and $10 bills, depending on the amount of leads we were planning on generating. And the bank would like go, what is this person doing? You know? Um, but then when every year, when I told them, they're like, that's awesome. Like, can I come and do that? Like it, it was, it, it just, um, it, it was a really fun time. Ramey's right. It was like a big party. Yeah. Lori spoke to how you'd recruit by bringing a friend to work night. This was kind of the same. Bring your banker too. Yes. <laughs> yes. When you have, when you have to fill 40 seats um, every night with a job that has a high turnover, um, that was the best way to do it. Yeah. So and then did you get Monday off to just debrief? Yes. 
Yeah. <laughs> Decompress a little bit, put yourself in secluded room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the, the great thing about it, just to add, the great thing about it is the people up in the Muskoka area um, were friendly. They weren't like the telemarketing we did before, it would be into the US, it would be throughout Canada, and you would have people really upset, angry. People up in the Muskoka, they actually knew College Pro would be calling every year. And it was like a welcome call. Um, and that's that's the other thing that really added to it was just, it, it was like a secret, it was almost like a secret club where everybody knew this was gonna happen on this weekend and everybody was looking forward to it. So. I love that. It's like a welcome to summer. You opened your cottage, you need, need some painting for it touched up. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then also in that same time frame, uh, Lori spoke to, we integrated NPS and loyalty surveys. So where, where did this start to come from? When did you start to notice this? Um, and how did the feedback received impact the, the various businesses? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, we, we had done quality surveys with, with Paul Davis, um, pretty much right out of the gates. Like as soon as we, that's, that was the first thing that we worked with Paul Davis on was their surveys. Um, but I think, you know, back in the day, companies, they, they looked at surveys more as a marketing tool. They wanted to be able to market that, you know, 95% of their customers would recommend their business or, you know, that, that they were, they had five stars, like Surpro used to do the, the five-star rating. Um, so it was all just about marketing to future customers. Um, and it was really 2004 was the year that NPS um, got traction within our brands. And again, it was Paul Davis. They were the ones that, that really pioneered it. Um, their CEO at the time, Scott Baker, he attended a conference that Fred Reich held who developed NPS. He was at that conference. He was speaking about this new metric um, and what it was doing for businesses and how it was really predicting um, positive growth for businesses if you actually worked the system around around that promoter score. Um, so Scott brought it to David at the time, said, figure it out, like figure out how we're going to do this. Um, and I remember it so vividly because I was I came back off of maternity leave um, in 2004 after being off for a year. So I was ready to jump in, like give me a project, give me something to tackle. I've been off for a year. Um, so NPS was what I kind of went to town with on with Paul Davis. Um, you know, we figured it out. We had this this new survey platform called Voxco, you know, that we used so we could build surveys properly. There was no more access, no more manual reports. Um, so that's that was kind of the stepping stone of NPS. And then once Paul Davis adopted it, um, I think there was just a lot of um talk about it amongst the other brands so then California closets they started doing it and then the other brands followed suit um and we really dug into it uh because we we believed and we still do believe that the methodology if you if you do it properly it is going to positively impact your business we all of our executive team became net promoter certified we went through a certification course um we went ahead and built out our own NPS dashboard, you know, with, uh, with the help of Jonathan Barker. 
Um, so we really um, clung to NPS and that became one of our core service offerings for a long time. And that's why we, you know, at one point, I think we had 14 different um, businesses that we worked with and a lot of them were NPS. So we, we strictly did surveys for them and, but we also consulted with them on how to actually use the metric and use the feedback to propel the business forward. Wow. And, uh, and as you advance the technology, were you sad to see your special computer go? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Happy the batch no was out the window. <laughs> yeah. They could all go to Clearview and get their own reports and I didn't have to generate anything. It was magical. <laughs> the project had been coordinated. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So we've also learned a little bit in this conversation that a big learning point was knowing when to say no, knowing your limits and having those tough conversations. Um, so I want to flip it a little bit and say, what's been the most rewarding thing you two have been through um, or had a hand in or been a part of through your time with TLS so far? Yeah, so um, I mean, it is so hard to really boil down 20 years into one one particular thing but if I had to do it I mean I think it's and it's not one thing but it, it is the just the change and the shift that our business went through starting in 2013 where we we really looked at our business for the first time from a strategic point of view and said like where do we want to go what space do we want to be in um and you know, becoming a brand experience center, not just calling ourselves that, but actually putting the pieces in place to shift our business has definitely been, you know, the most rewarding thing. Um, and it does, it, you know, it it does come down to to a single moment for me where um, I think it was earlier this year or the end of last year, we were reading through um, team NPS feedback from our moment makers. And Stephanie, you and I literally looked at each other and I think you said like this, this has stuck, this has worked, like listen to what our people have to say about the business that they work for. And for me, that was kind of that defining moment of all of those years of, of change and, and shifting and trying to get to a space and actually you know, reading that feedback and hearing that validation that, you know, we, we got there. Oh, I love that. Stephanie, how about you? Yeah, mine was like, mine was the exact same thing, you know, and um, so not to re re say what Ramey said, but it's the same event and what made it so like, what made it one of the best experience for me was when Ramey talked to about it sticking, it's because the ideas, like the concept we had was had like, I'm trying to think of the right word. The concept we had was not the norm in the industry and even in a lot of businesses in the world that we were in. And I think it was when we were in those strategic meetings um, trying to come up with language around our vision and mission and, um, you know, our why came out as because people can treat people better. 
um, it's not just within TLS, but it's within the entire world. And the experience is so good for me is because we were actually, we were ahead of the curve. And I think that's what I'm most proud of is our shift to that thinking. We came up with hearts. We talked about care. We talked about love, like all of this stuff that just, and feelings, all this stuff doesn't fit in the business world. And um, a lot of people didn't like, couldn't, couldn't go towards that. It was the, like the title of our people changing a moment maker. Um, people couldn't really grasp that. It was like, what is the word I'm thinking of? It was out there. It was, yeah. um, I can't think of the word, but it, it just, people, people thought you're crazy. <laughs> that's, that's probably the word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember, I remember the conversation with Charlie, Lori, you know, Lori and I were on a call with, with Charlie and Kevin Roy, and we were talking about moment maker and we were talking about, you know, the work we'd done with Edward around our mission, our re revised mission and vision. And, um, it was a hard mm -hmm. sell. Like you're right. That bit with those words don't fit in a, in a corporate world. And, but we just kept at it. You know, we, we, we were very purposeful in our language, in changing our language, in correcting people when they use the wrong language. And that's what was really, that's what made us Absolutely. Stick. Yeah. And Steph, I love that you said that too, because it's um, that language, while it may not fit in a business sense or the traditional sense of the word, it's, it's very much universal. And it's these concepts and constructs that we can apply every day, no matter what situation we're in, because we should always be engaging with people. We should always be displaying care. We should always be treating people better. Um, and that comes across the board and it's, it's growing up on the golden rule and it's growing up on the platinum rule and it's, um, it's really living the values. And that's something that's so transferable outside of these walls of TLS. And I think that that really resonates with people. So thank you for sharing that. That's, um, and that's also a great segue because our part three of caribou culture, we're really going to dive into, um, our language and making that shift and, and hearing all of the thoughts behind that. So I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that conversation. Um, and I, I don't get to keep you for too much longer, I know, but I do want to leave off with asking each of you um, one thing that you try to do in your personal or professional lives where you live in the moment. Yeah, I, so um, the one thing I really started doing was looking up. So like walking down the street, so being an introvert, not really wanting to socialize, that's who I was um, with the whole shift that we did in um, being moment makers and being engaged in the moment. For me, um, what I do is when I walk down the street, I look up, I no longer look down. I make eye contact with people um, and I smile because that could just make someone's day. And um, it has really just doing that has um, really taken my disposition and kind of launched it in, in an opposite way where, and I, I can't describe what that means. You guys are nodding. I see that, but um, it is really making eye contact with people and looking up at the world versus looking down and, and not um, wanting to engage. 
I agree. It's a big difference of um, it's that one little thing that changes your body language because looking down, you're very closed off and looking up, you're engaged just by having your chin up. That's it. Um, and it's something yeah. so small that can be so impactful. And, and to add to that, where that came from was homeless people on the streets. Um, like my first instinct is don't make eye contact because I don't have anything to give them. And that's, that's when I started to realize that it's not treating them like a human being. Um, so I very am purposeful in making eye contact and even conversation with people I see that in which I see other people treat in the wrong way. So that's where that came from. That's beautiful. And it's amazing also to think um, how far saying, how are you can go and just asking someone such a simple question, the conversation that can come out of it and the thing you, the things that you can learn. Um, thank you for that. That was fantastic. And Ramy, how do you live in the moment or try? So, yeah, so it's, it's definitely a try. Um, I started this a couple of years ago. Um, so I, I live about 45 minutes from the office. And um, so by the time I get home, it's around five o'clock. And that's always kind of, you know, when my kids were little, it was the witching hour. They were hungry. They were tired. They wanted dinner. I'd just gotten home from work. And you know, there, there was, there was a moment where, you know, I was on my phone, I was reading an email, I was upset about an email. And I, you know, kind of took that out on my son who was just asking like a simple question. And I just wasn't in the moment. I, I wasn't person, I wasn't with him in his moment. I was stuck at work. I was still, you know, kind of my brain was still there. So you know, I am very purposeful to when I get home from work for, you know, between five and 7 p.m. Work's done for me because that's really my family time. That's when I need to be prepared and, and personable with them and, and really just engage in their moments because they need me, you know, during those hours. So that's that's been a, a big game changer for me just in terms of how I can personally engage you know, with my kids is just putting it away and it'll still be there in two hours and people know to call me if things are on fire, but, um, that's kind of been my big thing. I love that. And that I'll tell you now, it doesn't, that does not stop as the kids get older. Cause I mean, I'm 26 and I still will give my mom a hard time and she's going to listen to this and go, see, I told you it's a thing. Cause <laughs> I give her a hard time about never turning work off. And then she books off that seven to 10, time and that's that's her time away from work and apparently it's just never enough for me but <laughs> it may get easier but it probably won't <laughs> but thank you that is um that is absolutely very important um so i want to thank you both for for spending part of your morning with me um and for taking time out of your busy schedules we we really appreciate it well thank you for having oh it's always fun to take a trip down memory lane and remember the early days. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. Um, I will talk to you guys soon and let you get back to your days. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Take care. Bye. 
I am so excited to have the opportunity to capture and absorb our history and our heart. This conversation beautifully captured what we strive for every day. We're always working to deliver exceptional brand experience and we strive to do it well, to do it in a consistent manner, and we do it right. We talked a bit as well about engaging, which seems to be a common theme throughout this podcast, but one way we've really excelled in employee engagement is around our TLS inspiration days. And you hear me mention it in this conversation about a cowbell. And this was one example of setting a goal with the team, incentivizing that goal and working together to achieve that goal. One of the incentives in this particular case was being able to ring a cowbell quite loudly so the whole floor could celebrate. This was also a great segue for our next installment coming to you soon. As both Steph and Ramey mentioned in this episode, around 2015, TLS did a lot of reflection and work on our brand and our identity, and it was certainly an adventure of sorts to develop and integrate the language that we use today. So you can check that out in part three of Path to Caribou Culture coming soon. And for any of my fact checkers out there, the song mentioned was Moneymaker by Ludacris and Pharrell. Always a good listen. Now, thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribed. Make sure that you borrow your friends' phones to ensure they are subscribed. And we'll see you next week. Sometimes you need someone there for support. Sometimes you need a little gin.